Miss Winnie accused me last week of having an extra cup of coffee. I've been on this sermon series, I hate to see it end, called The Four Marks of People That God Uses. And we want to be used by God, don't we? First mark was brokenness. Nobody signs up for it. Matter of fact, God doesn't even ask you if you want to be broken. By the way, how many of you know God doesn't ask you much? (laughs) There's a reason for that. Brokenness. And brokenness leads to uncommon communion, mark number two. See, because when you're broken, God is the one who makes you whole through those seasons of brokenness. And by the way, brokenness doesn't happen once. It happens all the time. And when the way God heals, listen to me, the way that God heals is through his manifest presence. You with me? There's, there's wholeness in the presence of God. And that births an uncommon communion with God. So see, our brokenness causes us to experience the manifest presence of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son and the drawing of the Spirit. And, and the communion is uncommon. Anyone remember what last week's mark was called? Anybody? Was I the only person here? Samuel? Servanthood as an identity. He's 11, folks. Just saying. By the way, I really don't like it when my family uses my sermons against me. Even worse, when God does. Have any of you had opportunity this week where the voice of the Spirit so clearly whispered to your spirit, are you serving or are you a servant? Last week I spoke on John 13 when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and I'm going to tell this because it needs to be recorded for posterity. My son, who was in the balcony, should not have been here last week. He was very, very ill. And I said, son, stay home and get your rest. He said, I'll be in the balcony. I won't be around people. And by the way, when you grow up in a home that loves Jesus, not coming to church is not an option. Some of you need to understand that. Okay? Coming to church is not optional. It's not something we debate. Listen to me. It's something we do. It's ingrained in his DNA. Not because he grew up in a pastor's home, but because he loves Jesus. So he came against his father's advice but he was not feeling good he was very sick up there and he couldn't take it any longer and so he said to his sister ellie who runs the computer side of things up there he said ellie i'm gonna lay down on this pew up here and here's what he said wake me up if dad does any weird foot washing things Did you hear that? I'm going to sleep through a sermon, but if he does anything weird, man, wake me up because I want to see it. (laughs) Right? Oh, my. (laughs) So today, I want to talk to you about the fourth and final mark. And I didn't give you an outline. 
Because your outline is just the Bible today. Now, I would encourage you to take notes somewhere. But today I want to talk to you about the final mark. And I want you to see how the dominoes fall and how brokenness, which leads to uncommon communion, which gives birth to this servanthood as an identity. It just makes sense that this following, it's so closely related. And here it is. I call it Rio. Radical, immediate obedience. Say it with me. Radical, immediate obedience. You see, what's that a picture of on the screen? It's a picture of our text in Genesis 22, 1 through 14. Yes, it's, it's Abraham sacrificing Isaac. I like that picture. It's an old one. The reason I like it is they got Isaac right. He was not 12 years old. He was most likely a young man. He's even got a little goatee there, and I think that's accurate. And Abraham is an old man, and they get that right. So let's turn to our text today, and we're just going to jump right in it. We're going to look at radical, immediate obedience as a mark of greatness, a mark of the final mark of people that God uses. And I want to say this to you. I want to be so clear up front. Listen to this. You and I have no hope of being used by God unless and until we learn to obey immediately whatever he says. Are you with me? And the test of your obedience is not the easy things that you agree with. It's the things that are hard to swallow. Nothing gets harder to swallow than what God commanded Abraham to do. So let's look at it. Genesis 22.1. Now it came to pass after these things that God, what's that word? Tested Abraham. How many of you know that God often tests his people? Some of you men, God is using you to test your wives. (laughs) Your poor wives have to live with you. God is testing them by obeying the commands that he's given to a wife. Here's, what, here's how God tests him. He said to him, Abraham. By the way, the, the test is always personal. Calls him by name. Listen to me. God's calling you out by name today. He's giving you an assignment. And it's not for the person sitting next to you. It's for you. So God calls him says, Abraham. And notice his response immediately. And Abraham said what? Here I am. Yes, Lord. By the way, that's the proper response. And I want to say this to parents today. This is vital. If you're a parent today and you have children still in your house, teach them to respond immediately to your voice. Are you you hearing me? When I say, I don't even, Samuel. Did you hear him? Yes, sir. Teach them that. Listen to me. It could save their life one day. Teach your child to respond verbally immediately to the sound of your voice. You make a game out of it when they're little. We do, I do it with Jackson. I call his name kind of in a sing-songy voice, and I teach him to, to say yes, or one of the things that when they're little, I'm, I'm coming, Dad. 
whatever it is, teach them to verbally respond so you know and they know that they heard. Abraham, here I am, verbal response. That's the response. Let's look at the requirement in verse 2. Then he said, this is God, take now your son. And he qualifies that, your what? Only son. And then he names him, in case you're wondering, Isaac. And then he qualifies it further, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. So a question for you. How many sons does Abraham have? Mm, No, he's got more than one. He's got at least two at this point. The other guy's name is, that's with an I too, Ishmael. So he says, take now your son. And God says, in case you're wondering which I, son, I'm talking about, interestingly enough, God says, you're what? Only son. Now, wait a minute. We just said he had Ishmael, two boys, and God says, no, this is your only son. But then so God qualifies it further. Your only son named what? Your only Isaac. And by the way, what's the, what, what does the name Isaac mean? Anybody know? Laughter. And you know why he got named that? Because when, when God waited until Sarah was beyond childbearing years, and then he shows up and says, oh, she's going to have that baby now. And, and typical in Middle Eastern culture, the men were discussing things outside the tent. And inside, Sarah was getting some food ready, and she's doing what you wives do. She's eavesdropping on the conversation. And when she hears the angel of the Lord say, Sarah's going to have a baby now, what does she do? <laughs> she laughs. She puts her hands over my mouth. She laughs. And so, so before he leaves, oh, and by the way, Sarah, I heard you, and we're going to name this kid Laughter. But look at, you've got to read this in the Hebrew to really get it. Take now your son, your only joy, your only Laughter. And give him to me permanently. That's a test. And then he says, whom you what? Did he ever? I want you to listen to me. Oftentimes the obedience God requires is the sacrificing of that which you love more than him. Let me say that again. Oftentimes the obedience God requires is the sacrifice of that which you love more than him. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Okay, what am I doing with Isaac? We're going to go on a mission trip. Am I going to teach him something new? Nope, you're going to sacrifice him on a mountain that I'm going to show you. The requirement. Look at the readiness, verse 3. So Abraham rose what time? Early. In the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and look at an underline this in your Bible, and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Write this down, especially if you're a parent. Write this down. If it's not obedient, or excuse me, if it's not immediate, it's not obedient. Let me say that again because somebody needs to hear it. If you tell your kids to do something and they don't do it right away, they have disobeyed you. You need to take 
a cue from former administrations of the United States when they say, we do not negotiate with terrorists. And I'm here to tell you, your children are little terrorists because they're just like mine, and mine are too. We don't negotiate with terrorists. And if it's not obedient or immediate, it's not obedient. One of the things we teach our children is, is I obey, what is it, children? Right away. You do what you're told, so you do exactly what you're instructed to do. You do it immediately right away, and you do it with a joyful heart. I used to say happy heart, but a lot of stuff that I tell my kids to do does not infuse happiness in, in them, and it's not my goal to make them happy. My goal is to make them holy. And I want you to hear something today. God's goal is not to make you happy. His goal is to make you holy just like Jesus. Okay? So do it exactly what you're told to do. Do it immediately right away and do it with a joyful heart. In other words, not a bad attitude. By the way, if they do it, what you, they do exactly what you say and they do it right away, but they're slamming the dishes as they do it, I want to tell you something. It's disobedience. Reminds me of my, I don't know what he is. He's my aunt-in-law's brother. I don't know what that works out family-wise, but Lance. He, he was a big man and, a, and a, um, I think a massive New York state trooper. You, you just didn't mess with Lance. But he had his little princess of a daughter. I, I don't even remember her name. But, but one day, there, this was back before seatbelt laws. One day... He looked in the rearview mirror. They're driving down the road. And she's standing up in the seat, in the back seat. And he says, he said, baby, you sit down. And she just put her hands on her hips and stayed there. Bad idea. So he slows the car down and starts pulling over the shoulder. And, boy, she sits right down. And he kind of nods knowingly and pulls back out in traffic. She said, Daddy? He said, yes, baby. I just want you to know I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And he pulled that car over and wore her out. You know why? She might have been physically sitting, but she was disobeying in her attitude. Some of you teenagers need to hear that this morning. Some of you parents of teenagers need to hear that this morning. Some of you old people, and I can say that now because I'm afraid I'm getting there. We need to hear that. I could preach all day on that, and I won't. But I want you to notice... If it's not immediate, it's not obedience. And notice the second thing here. Abraham did not give himself room, time, or the option of whether or not to obey. Did you catch that? Abraham did not give himself room, time, or the option of whether or not to do exactly as God had commanded him to do. You know what some of your problem is today? You give yourself room, time, and the option to debate God's commands instead of obey them. And you wonder why God doesn't use you. I'm talking to myself today more than anybody. Verse 4, on a third day, so they sat on the donkey, he splits the wood. What do you think was going through his mind with every fall of the axe? Then on a third day, so there are how many days are they traveling? of the longest days of his life. On the third day, he lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. By the way, God did not give Abraham specific directions to the mountain. What did, what did he say? 
you're going to sacrifice your boy, and I'm going to point, I'll let you know when you're there. That indicated that Abraham was to go in the general direction of Moriah and that God would point out the specifics as he was moving. So many of us, we want to know God's will now, and then we can decide whether we're going to do it or not. And I just want to tell you something. If you're doing that, you're never going to hear from God. My missions professor used to put it this way. He said, gentlemen, you cannot window shop for the will of God. You become committed to go somewhere and die wherever God sends you, and then God shows you as you are moving in the direction of obedience. On the third day, what day, church? Do you know what happened? I did a little search, and I'm actually going to develop a whole message on this, but I won't give you the whole thing today. But the third day is an interesting day in the Bible. It starts right off the gate in Genesis 1.13. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Guess what was made on the third day? Anybody know? Plants. Plants. Say, so what's that got to do with anything? Including trees. What's significant about that? Because one day, the creator himself was going to hang on a tree. Created on what day? On the third day. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I would, there'd be no such thing as a third day. Or a tree. It's a day of revelation. The third day. He created a tree upon which his son would hang naked and bloody and torn for the sins of mankind. And he wouldn't yet create for three more days. And there's Exodus 19. Lord spoke to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe in you forever. See, Moses was having leadership problems. God said, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to come down. They're going to hear me talking to you, and you won't have problems anymore. So Moses told the words of the, of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and tell them to wash their clothes. Why? God was getting ready to show up. And let them be ready for the third day. Are you ready for the third day? For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for all the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to this mountain or even touch its base. Whoever touches this mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long... They shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. This was a fast of all things. Then it came to pass on the third day. What day, church? The third day in the morning. Same time God reveals this to Abraham years before. That there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. The third day is a day of revelation. Listen to me. God shows up on the third day. Abraham's traveling, and it's the morning of what day, church? Day number three. And God said, there it is. God revealed the place. But you know what? The third day is also a day of redemption. 
jot this down, 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1, David. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag, that's the town that they were given by the Philistine king, on the, you ready for this, third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, and Ziglag, they attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. You know what Ziglag means? It means the olive press. It was the place where Beautiful, round, healthy, whole olives were placed down a chute and crushed by a 2,000-pound stone until nothing was left but the precious, what is called the blood of the olive, the oil. It is a place of crushing, literally what it meant. And it was there that, Dave, that God crushed the last bit of David that was left in him. He comes back to Ziglag. It's burned with fire, and those wonderful men that he basically saved from debtor's prison, said, hey, I got an idea. Let's kill David. This must somehow be his fault. All right? But I'll tell you, it's a day of redemption. Because David said, well, you can kill me or you can join me. I'm going to get my family and all our stuff. And the guys decided, well, that's a better idea than killing them. It's a day of redemption, the third day. And then if you, if you look at Hosea 6 and 2, the Bible says this. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. The third day is a day of restoration. John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Remember what Jesus did on the third day in Cana? He turned water into what? And that weren't Kool-Aid, folks. That wasn't just grape juice. I know we're a Baptist church, and a lot of you good Baptists can't handle that truth, but I'm just telling it to you like it is, and there's proofs in the Scripture for that. But the third day is a day of rejoicing. On the third day, Jesus comes and saves a family from generations of public shame. And then, of course, the third day is a day of resurrection. Moreover, brethren, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which you are saved as you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again. Guess what day, church? On the third day, according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, then the twelve. It is a day of resurrection. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and God said, that's the place. Now, now take, take your Bible glasses off and tell me, what are you thinking if you're Abraham? It's time to obey. Verse 5. So they get to the bottom of this mountain, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. This is interesting. And the lad and I, we're going to go yonder. We're going up that mountain. And what are they going to do, church? They're going to worship. But notice what he says. And we will what? Yeah. That's the first person plural. In other words, it isn't just Abraham coming back, but who? Isaac's coming back, too. Does that mean that Abraham's not going to go through with it? Nope. And we could read a lot into this. Except that the scriptures tell us later in Hebrews chapter 11 exactly what Abraham meant. It gives us a window into his thinking. 
And Abraham was literally looking for a resurrection. I'm going to go through it. God said to do it. I'm going to do it. But God has pro- God's promises through this boy. So even if I plunge the knife into his chest, God is going to somehow resuscitate him and resurrect him. And here's an interesting thing. Had Abraham ever seen a resurrection? Nope. But he believed God could do it. So what happened? As we look at that, we see that Abraham was resolved. That no matter what, he was going to obey God, and he knew that God was going to keep his promise. Are you resolved? Are we resolved? Here's a question. What keeps us from obeying? What are our best excuses for not obeying God? We all have them. Too tired. I don't feel good. Too busy. Too, and you can fill in that blank. How about this one? Let's just be honest with our excuses. I'm just too sinful. I'm just too full of myself. I'm just too all about me and not about God. Let's just call it what it is. Too proud. Just write in your outline, if you got it there, if you don't, just write it on your hand. I'm two, and then just put a blank. It don't matter what goes in that blank. If you got T-double-O in front of it, you're making an excuse to not obey. And Abraham just didn't do that. Verse 6, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. Notice this, where did he lay it? Upon Isaac. And literally, his son. Literally, Isaac carried that on his back. Does that sound familiar? And he took the fire in his own hand, and he also carried the what? The knife. And the two of them went together. Can you get in Abraham's head right now? Seeing his boy carry that wood, and Abraham's got the pot of coals in one hand and a razor-sharp sacrificial blade in the other. What is going through that old man's mind? Gets worse. By the way, the wood is a picture of the what? Cross. Isaac is a picture of who? Abraham's a picture of who? The father. What about the fire and the knife? Fire is a picture of the holiness of God that results in judgment. What does a fire do? It consumes. Everything it touches, right? And because God is holy, you've heard me say this before, our sin and anything that is attached to our sin, meaning ourselves, is consumed by his holiness. Fire is a picture of the holiness of God and thereby his judgment upon sin. And then the knife. The knife is very simply a picture of sacrifice. As an instrument of death. What's Abraham thinking? Well, it gets worse. Look at the next verse. But Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, My father. And Abraham said, What? Here I am, my son. Mm. 
Notice Abraham is, if nothing else, he's responsive. God says, Abraham, here am I. Isaac says, Dad, here am I. Abraham was available. You know what some of us, you know what some of your problem is today and mine too? Is we're not available. Somebody said it over here, we're too busy. We're not even available. Whether it was God that addressed him or his boy, Abraham was always available. Here I am, son. And then Isaac asks about the elephant in the room. He said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham might as well have taken that dagger and stuck it right through his own heart. It would have been less painful than the words that came out of the mouth of his son. You agree with me? You know what? I don't even, I started to try to put myself in this story and Abraham, I, I, I had to quit. I couldn't do it. It, it. it hurt too bad. I couldn't do it. I had, I had to walk away from it. Man, that must have hurt. And by the way, that would have been a great place to quit. Would it not have? I mean, I don't know about you. I, maybe I can hang with him, but when the boy asked me that, it's all over. I said, nah, you know what? I must have misheard. Come on, let's go back on down. I'm sure mom's got some good supper made for us back at the tent. Seriously, right at that point, I am pulling out, and you all have them. You, you got two or three just honey stick excuses for, for disobeying God. We've all got them. Right there, I'm pulling out my best one. And you know what it is? Well, the Lord knows me, and he'll forgive me anyway. How many of you have said that and excused your personal disobedience and sin? Uh-huh. I see lots of smiles, and nobody will look me in the eye right now. Yep, you're all doing one of these. I get it. Right there, when he asked me that, I'm pulling out one of them, and we're walking back down the mountain. I'm just telling you. Look at verse 8. Look at his response instead. My son... God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Well, the two of them went on together. No way. By the way, this was not Abraham's first rodeo of having to do a hard thing in obedience to God. Just jot this down, Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham, listen to this, when he was called to go out of the place to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. By faith, Abraham obeyed. That's the word. He obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, listen to this, not knowing where he was going. What is this about? This is when God came to Abraham and said, Look, here's what I want. I want you to, I'm sending you somewhere and you're going to inherit this land. Just follow me. Yeah, pack up everything you got, sell it all. You're going to be mobile from here on out, and I'm going to send you somewhere, and one day I'm going to give it to your offspring. And by faith, he, what's that word? Obeyed. He obeyed God, and he had no idea where he was going. By the way, can I ask you this question? And I've pondered it this week. How much does your faith play into your obedience? How much is your faith a factor in your obedience? Let's back it up and look at this. How much was Abraham's faith a factor in his obedience? And what is faith? Faith is, here it is, you've heard me say it. It starts with an A. What church? 
agreeing with God. How much did Abraham's agreement with God play into his obedience of God? Good bit. If you don't believe it, same chapter, Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, there it is, by agreement with God, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up, this is interesting, his only begotten son. You ever heard that phrase before? I thought so. I thought so. Verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham, notice what he did. The first thing he did is he built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. By the way, just, just know that every verse, every recounting of this history is a great place to quit. You with me? Every verse is a good place for Abraham to say, well, God will forgive me. Let's go back down the mountain. Every place. Hey, look, look, when I, when I, when I read this history, I think to myself, you know what? Anything God asked me to do can't be as bad as that. And Abraham did it. Because at the end of the day, I want to be used by God. So he does it. He puts the wood on it, and then he grabs Isaac. And he, by the way, that picture's great. Because Isaac is a young man. Abraham's an old man. And there was two sets of faith on that mountain. It wasn't just Abraham's. It was also whose? Isaac. Because Isaac could have easily overpowered the old man and said, I don't think so. You may not be willing to quit, but I'm quitting for us. I'm going to tie you up and drag you down the mountain and wait till we get home and I tell mom what you tried to do to me. Hmm? Yeah. I mean, take the Bible glasses off. Some of this stuff is just crazy. But what does he do? He allows himself to be bound and for his father to play. Oh. What must that have been like when Abraham picked up that young man of a son, the son of promise, listen to me, and laid him on that altar? Pull that picture up. And struggled to pick up that young man. And it's heartbreaking. And I love the picture because he's got Isaac blindfolded. Said, son, I don't want you to see what's fixing to happen. But Isaac knew. And he obediently and implicitly trusted his father as Jesus did his. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Are you kidding me? For real? He was going through with it. Verse 12, or 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said what? What's his, what's his words? Here I am. Parents, seriously, you need to teach your children to say that. And as a child of God, we need to learn to say it. Here I am. This is, impresses me. How, how many of you, when you had to do a hard thing, you just had to work yourself up to it, right? Are you with me? You got to work yourself up to it. And then, man, you just, 
When, 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 when the knife is up, it's happening. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm sure it's that way with Abraham. And yet he is, so, listen, listen, he is so responsive to the, to the call of God that even as he just has psyched himself up to kill his son at that moment, that, that even, even that energy, even that, that resolution uh, is not, does not overpower his immediate response to the call of God. Am I making any sense? That amazes me. That might amaze me more than anything else in this history. Abraham, Abraham. By the way, God calls twice because he wants to make sure Abraham hears him. And he said, here I am. And the only thing, this is terrible, but this is the only thing I can think of. I'm watching some football games last week, and, and, and it's inevitable. It's right at the end of the game. There's three seconds left. A field goal is going to win it. And right before the ball is snapped, what does the opposing coach do? Timeout. And it's called icing the kicker. And what you do is you try to get in that kicker's head and get him all messed up so that he misses a field goal and your team wins. Well, I th- I'm telling you, I think I, I see this thing. You know, God stops him, and I and imagine if Abraham lived today, he said, God, are you trying to ice me or what? what must, I was just all ready to do this. This is a hard thing. But what does God say? Oh, what a good answer, verse 12. And God said, oh, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Oh, and listen, don't you know Abraham threw that knife down? That instrument of death is laid aside. And look what he says. God says this. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Did God know he was going to do that? Well, of course he did. Of course he did. This is not so much a no as a show. God wanted to show. God knew. God knows Abraham's heart. But he wants to show. He wants to demonstrate Abraham's heart. Why? Because you need it. Abraham needed it. But you know what? There was still a young man bound on an altar. His name was Isaac. And he needed to know, listen to me. He needed to know that his daddy loved his, the father in heaven more than he loved the son of promise laying on the, on the wood that day. Isaac needed to see the commitment of his father to the father. And I want to tell you dads out there, your children need more than anything from you to see the commitment that you have for the Father. And that starts by being here when the doors are opened. Verse 13. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took that ram and offered it up for a burnt offering for in, in the place of his son. Just so happened that God's got the provision already there. Someone once said when a coincidence is when God chooses to operate off the front page. 
A coincidence is when God chooses to do something in secret, but his name is all over it. There's no such thing as a coincidence. It's all God. Trace it back. You'll find his signature. And there's the ram, and he offers that in the place of his son. And notice verse 14. And Abraham called the place, the name of the place. Literally in the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jireh. The Lord will provide. Some translations has it this way. The Lord himself will provide. And didn't God provide? As it is said to this day, and underline this little phrase in your Bible, because it's going to be important. In the mount of the Lord... It shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I asked you a question before we started. I said, what is it that keeps us from obeying God? Do you remember that? I might be wrong. But you know what I think the number one, the true reason is? Just track with me. We're, we're afraid. Would you agree with me? Isn't it fear that keeps us from obeying? What are, what are we afraid of? Come on. What are you afraid of in obeying God? The unknown. Say that louder. Not going to get a reward. No one's going to notice. We're going to lose something or someone you love. You reckon those things ran through Abraham's mind, walking up that mountain. God, listen, God has given us a letter full of commands. Commands are meant to be obeyed. Immediately. Fully. And with a joyful heart. You know what, you know what the bottom line of our fear is? Some, I think you all hit around it. One of you actually said it. The reason we don't obey, listen to me, this is beautiful, is because we, are, we fear not having our needs provided for. And you can fill in that need. Oh, man, I'm not going to go tell that person about Jesus because... I have this need to be respected and thought of as a good, as a nice person. And I'm afraid if I go tell them that that need is going to go unmet. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be what? Well, I'm afraid that if I, if I, if I start to give proportionately with 10% of my income, I'm afraid that if I do that, then I'm going to end up short in my finances and that God won't, what's the word? Provide me i want to tell you something every one of the reasons our excuses and our, our honey sticks for disobeying god behind every one of them peel back the layers of the onion and you come down to this point right here we're just afraid that god is not going to be able to provide for us if we do what he says it's fear of going without
But in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let me tell you what blows this all away. Let me tell you what destroys that argument. And if you can grab a hold of this and let it grab a hold of you, listen. You will begin, your life will begin to be marked by radical immediate obedience. You say, really, Paul? Can it be that simple? Yes. Next slide. In the mount of the Lord, Abraham happened to be on what mountain? Moriah. Mount Moriah. Do you notice a very important geographical city in biblical history on that map? Imagine that. Jerusalem only existed in the mind of God at this point. Three days' journey. He looks up and God said, That's the place. They travel up this mountain. Notice where Mount Moriah is. And they put that little dot there at the. Uh, at, towards the top of Mount Moriah. Do you know what the highest point of Mount Moriah is? Okay, someone's got a study Bible. I love you, brother, but I know you ain't that smart. <laughs> And neither am I. 770 what? Three sevens. Imagine that. You know what sits there today? It's called the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount. Highest place in Jerusalem. You know what's right? There, there, there is a piece of rock that runs off the Temple Mount. And it goes just outside the gates of what is now Jerusalem, what would become Jerusalem. Guess what's on it? Guess what it's called? It's called the place of the skull, Golgotha. It runs from the same rock ridge that is the foundation for the Temple Mount. What happened in the Temple Mount? Hundreds of thousands of millions of lambs were sacrificed every year. And just outside of there was the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. Yep. You can stand at the Temple Mount and you can see it. But it's outside the gates, which is a sign of rejection. And I want you to listen to me. In the mount of the Lord it shall be what? Provided. the sacrifice of Jesus anything that the Father calls you to will be provided stop fearing start faithing it's right there preacher how do I come to a place where my life is marked by this radical immediate obedience you preach the gospel to yourself every day you say you know what I'm scared to death to take this step Lord I'm scared to agree to this assignment it's too big. You know, you know what? The problem is not that God's assignments are too big. The problem is that my faith is too small. Lord, I can't do it. But in your mountain it shall be provided.
and you provided for me through Jesus Christ and through that provision, I will obey you. And I will leave no room for argument. Let me give you some takeaways and we're done. Number one, what does your obedience reveal about your own faith? And where is it lacking? Number two, when God speaks to you through his word, do you obey or debate? By the way, if you're a parent and you have children, when you speak to your children, if they begin to debate, it's over. You've lost if you allow that to go on. Biggest goal that God has given to us as parents is to teach our children to obey immediately. Immediately, completely, with a joyful heart. They're not doing that. You're not doing your job. Why? Because they're going to grow up, and if they debate with you, what do you think they're going to do with God? People come and say, oh, preacher, this country's in a mess. What's going on with the kids? I'll tell you what's wrong with the kids. You're what's wrong with the kids. I'm what's wrong with the kids. We got a whole generation that has grown up and has been told, oh, you're special, you're so wonderful. I mean, I saw this thing on Facebook the other day. This kid goes down. He didn't even go down the slide. The father pushed him down the slide. He screamed like a girl all the way down. And when it's done, they have this big rejoicing party because he's so brave. He's not, he was pushed. That's not obedience. That's child abuse. And he's being celebrated like he was evil Knievel and just jumped the Grand Canyon, for goodness sake. What's wrong with this world? Parents are what's wrong with this world. Hey, listen, don't you think that that kid, when that kid grows up, that he's going to expect a party for coming to work? No, you don't get that. You get to keep your job. Listen, and if you allow your kids to debate with you and not obey, you are setting them up for a life of rebellion that will end in eternal separation from the God you purportedly love and serve. Parents, you must win every battle, especially when they're little. It starts when they're still in that stroller back there. Crying in the crib will not kill them. Being rebellious will. That's a whole other sermon. What about you? When God speaks, do you obey or do you debate? Number three. What is God revealing to you right now in relation to your own obedience? In relation to the assignment he's calling you to. I know, I know, I know what's happening right now. Right now, for those of you that are redeemed and have the spirit of God within you, that very same spirit is speaking to you, and there is, there is something that he is bringing to your mind. What is it? Don't tell me. Between you and God. And I want you to radically, immediately obey today. And then here it is, last one. Will you trust and obey or will you tap out and run? Let me get my musicians to come. Will you trust and obey or will you do what you've always done and will you tap out and run?